You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double Lemon. On today's episode, we have UFC Fight Night, Whitaker versus Gastelum. Preview predictions and analysis taking place this upcoming Saturday, April 17th, live from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? I know the intro wasn't the most extravagant intro intro like we normally do, but we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of fight announcements that have happened over the past few weeks. We've got predictions for Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum, you know, a rematch of a fight that fell through at UFC 234. That was originally supposed to be the main event, and then the co-main event was going to be Anderson Silva versus Israel Adesanya. However, Adas- uh, Whitaker fell ill. Gastelum stayed out of the fight. And then Adesanya and Silva moved up. And then at UFC 236, that's obviously when we got Adesanya versus Gasolum in one of the best fights um, the UFC has ever put on and probably the, the best fight or one of the best fights in that middleweight division of all time. And now we're running back that fight. We're running it back this weekend, uh, April 17th. Robert the Reaper Whitaker coming in on a three-fight win streak with wins over. Uh, I believe actually two-fight win streak, two-fight win streak. Sorry, that's my fault. So a win over Darren Till and a win over Jared the Killer Gorilla uh, Cannoneer. And then he's coming in trying to get his third win. So if if Whitaker comes in and gets a win over Gaslam here, he's got to be next for Israel Adesanya. He's got to be next. Because Adesanya isn't going to stay at 205. He's going back down to 185 after his uh, his efforts to win the championship against Jan Blahovich, And that obviously didn't pan out. And he lost the decision, I believe, four rounds to one. Um, yeah, four rounds to 149-46 for Jan Blahovich. So that handed Israel Adesanya his first defeat. And now this fight, whoever wins this fight, I would say more than likely if... If, if Whitaker wins, he has to fight Adesanya next. There's nobody else for him to fight. If Gastelum wins, he probably has to fight one more time. But judging on how great the first fight was between Whitaker and... Or uh, between Gastelum and Adesanya, I could see Dana White throwing him in against Adesanya in his return to 185 to defend the belt in a rematch. And they would market it. It's a rematch of one of the best fights in middleweight history. One of Adesanya's closest fights. In his career, da 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 da. You know, I could definitely see them doing that, but um, you know, we'll obviously see how that goes. Um, we're gonna start out with predictions first. I think that's better, and then we'll go into recent fight announcements. I just think that's a better way to run this episode in particular. So let's start off with the predictions. We're only gonna do the main card, and it is not every fight on the main card. I have skipped two fights. I know it's not technically the whole main card, but we're not gonna really give a heavy prediction for Andre Arlovsky versus Chase Sherman. Um, I can run through that really quick right now. I think Arlovsky looked good against uh, Tanner Bozer, and that was a fight I expected him to lose. I thought Bozer was going to get the victory there. Um, Andre Arlovsky's a veteran. He's been around the game for a long time, and he knows how to win fights. He knows how to outpoint you, how to make the judges – go in favor of him from round to round. And I think that's what we're going to get here. I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, a game of veteran versus newcomer. Shea Sherman's been in the UFC for a while, but 
he hasn't gotten any really big fights. Um, I believe Sherman was supposed to fight Parker Porter here. Parker Porter had to pull out, and uh, Arlovsky comes in. I, I'm going to give the edge to Arlovsky just based off of his experience, his his veteranship, I guess you could call it. You know, he's been in the UFC. He's fought some of the best of the best. Yeah, he's come out on the on the losing end a lot of the time, but he's got a lot of wins as well, and he knows how to win fights when they're really close. And I think this is a fight where. Sherman tries to land some good combinations and tries to get Arlovsky out of there, but Arlovsky is able to survive. He's able to keep Chase Sherman behind the jab, stick and move, you know, maybe mix in some takedowns uh, and then, you know, just to, to get the rounds a little bit closer. But I think the, the veteran, the veteran instinct of Andre Arlovsky uh, and his ability to point fight to win these close fights is what's going to cruise him to a victory here. I'm sure it'll be close. He probably is going to get hurt. You know, if you hit Arlovsky on the chin with a heavy shot, uh, you know, his chin isn't the best. He can take punches, but you don't want to be somebody in Arlovsky's spot who's been knocked out multiple times, who has taken a bunch of big shots in his career. Is That's not a place you want to be. So I think that Arlovsky gets a decision here. I think it's a 29-28. He probably loses the first round trying to get a read on Chase Sherman, figure out what he's going to do, and then just sticks behind the jab, lands the one-two, moves around, lands some kicks, and just hits Sherman more than Sherman hits him. So I I, I know it's not in order, in, in an in particular order as the card goes on, but I go with Andre Arlovsky in that fight. I just figured we'll get that out of the way really quick. Now let's move to the first fight on the main card. Um, like I said, we're going a little bit out of order here, but it's a featherweight fight between Ricardo Ramos, who holds a record of 14 victories and three defeats going up against Bill El Senor Perfecto LGO, who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and five defeats. Um, I think this is a close fight. I think that this is a flip of the coin. It's a tip of the hat. You know, it can go to anybody. Either got one of these guys can win this fight. When you look at a guy like Bill LGO, he's got a kind of a... A uh, lackadaisical style, hands low, fighting at range with good high kicks and front kicks to the body. Um, he can land some good spinning kicks as well, but it's mainly uh, front kicks, round kicks, and then that knee up the middle. You you saw him use it against uh, Ricardo Lamas, where he times you coming in, you know, kind of gets you in that. He stands in a little bit of a side stance more than a than a forward side on or than a forward like toe-to-toe style stance it's more side stance and then he'll just kind of fake and faint he'll use those long range attacks and fake and try to see your shots coming and then when he sees you lower your level he'll come up the middle and try to land that knee as you change levels and uh, he landed it on Lamas and he hurt him at the end of their fight obviously coming out on the losing end of that fight because he was able he uh, got out grappled and he did get hit a little bit on the feet but then he came back and he fought Spike Carlisle in a grueling fight. You know, Spike Carlisle was a, a big, strong wrestler. You know, he, he can land some good punches, but his weapon was to just constantly shoot takedowns, go from single to double, try to throw you, try to use his, his strength and power to his advantage against the more slick, technical outside fighter in Bill Elgio. It worked early on. But the takedown defense and the scrambling ability of Bill Elgio really is what carried him to win that fight. It was stuffing the takedowns. It was when he got taken down in a double or a single, he would use the the switch and and roll into the opponent. And then he would, you know, as as Spike Carlisle tried to get on top, he would turn over to a hip, um, whizzer out, and then spin to take the back or, or whizzer out. 
uh, you know, sit up on a hip, shoot his hips back and go into a sprawl. It's just being able to scramble and not settle in positions. He does give his back up a lot, which is a problem against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu you know, wizard and a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist and a black belt in Ricardo Hamos. That's what Hamos wants. He wants you to give your back up. He wants to be able to find a way to sneak to your back, whether it's shooting takedowns or, you know, countering your pressure and your forward pressure with shooting underneath and going for a takedown, transitioning to a body lock, going for an outside trip, then changing it up when you move your feet towards one direction to go with an inside reap like Khabib. You know, outside trip doesn't work. You step through with the opposite leg, go on the inside, arch your arch forward, and then get that takedown. That is something that Hamos is going to look to do. And every time he goes to the ground, even if he's on top, he doesn't really give suffocating pressure. There's going to be space between the bottom fighter and the top fighter if Hamos is on top. They're going to have space to get up to a hip, get up to an elbow, use that wizard and try to get out or, or you know, get up on a hip and then give up their back. Hamos wants you to give up your back. Now, although he's a great strike uh, grappler, He's also a really good striker, you know. He doesn't use it, and I, I wouldn't even classify him as really good. I, I guess I shouldn't have said that, but he does throw some weird, unorthodox techniques on the feet, whether it's a spinning back kick, a front kick, you know, a side kick, round kicks, uh, capoeira-style kicks, but he's only doing that to back you up either A, to the cage so he can shoot, um, get you in an over-under position, get you in a seat belt where you go over the one shoulder and underneath the armpit of the other arm, and then you can lock that up and you can go with a grapevine on the lead leg and pull them back towards you to then get their back and get your hooks in and work for a rear naked choke. Or you can get into that position. You can you can you know put your all your weight forward and try to break their base and put your shin across the back of the calf and then work from there. Get that one hook in and then slide the other one in and then pull them back. Uh, Hamos on the ground is almost specifically always looking to get your back. Take your back, get the hooks in, and get the rear naked choke. He can get it standing. He can get it from the ground. Bill Elgio on the feet, like I said, he's slick. He's technical. El Senor Perfecto. You know, he comes into this fight. I believe we talked about the records already, but he's coming into this fight with a record of four, of uh, 14 and 5. Ricardo Ramos is 14 and 3. But Elgio uh, is going to want to time the takedown attempts and the shots with a knee up the middle. The problem is Hamos doesn't really shoot unless you're pushing forward or he has you up against the cage where he'll look to go for a single, to a double, to a body lock, to an outside trip, to an inside reap, and just chaining takedown attempts together. It's one after the other, after the other, after the other. That's what Hamos is looking to do because he wants to get your back and then eventually look for a submission. LGO is going to want to fake and faint, which he does a lot. Stand in that side stance, you know, fake, high kick, fake, fake the with the hip faint, and then go with a kick. Fake the hip faint, jab, hook, hook, overhand, hook, overhand, you know, constantly standing in that side stance and just touching the opponent. That's what he wants to do. He wants to keep Hamos away from his hips. He wants to keep him on the outside, and he wants to touch him with the jab, with the jab hook, with the fake jab cross hook. Fake the cross to a hook to a jab. He goes hook, jab, high kick a lot. Instead of a jab hook, which we see a lot, he'll go hook to the jab. Another person that does that really well is uh, Jan Blahovich. So that's something he likes to do. And going from a hook to the jab, the hook is going to direct you towards the power. The jab kind of stops you and keeps you in place of where you're at, and then you can follow up with the power 
that is something I think we're going to see LGO look to do a lot. Um, but the problem is when he gets in these scrambles, he did it against Spike Carlisle. He gives up his back almost every time. He almost got caught in a bulldog choke by um, Spike Carlisle. And although I really like El Senor Perfecto, I love Bill LGO. I think he can do really well in this division. I think the fact that he gives up his back against such a decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist in Hamos that's a problem. That's a recipe for disaster. And he almost always gives up his back. And although he's good at scrambling, even when he gives up his back, he'll quickly roll to his to his stomach and then look to uh, get back up to his feet. Or he'll roll to his stomach, and then when you shoot another takedown, he'll he'll stop. He'll move to a hip. He'll use a wizard. He's constantly looking to scramble. But in the scramble, I think he gives up his back. He gets caught. Um, Hamos puts his hooks in and gets the rear naked choke finish. So my pick is Hakardo uh, Hamos to get the victory via a, I'm going to go with a second round rear naked choke. I think, like I said, LGO gets caught in a scramble. Um, you know, Hamos gets his hooks in, gets the rear naked choke and gets the tap. So second round rear naked choke finish for Ricardo Hamos against Bill LGO. I'm rooting for LGO. Like I said, I'm a really big fan of his. I just think this guy is too slick on the ground, too slick in the transitions, and too slick with the ability to take the back. All right. Up next, we move to a fight in the middleweight division between Abdul Razak El-Hassan coming back after a brutal first-round knockout against Chaos Williams, going up against Jacob Malkoon, who is also coming back after a brutal First-round knockout at UFC 254 against Phil Hawes. Um, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan obviously trains out of Fortis MMA with Safe Sayud, and he comes into this fight with a record of 10 victories and 3 defeats. Jacob Malkoon comes into this fight with a record of 4 victories and 1 loss. Um, this is basically, you know, bringing the lamb to the slaughter. You're, you're feeding an opponent to Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Now, last time we thought that was the case, was with Chaos Williams. We thought that Williams was going to get in there. He was getting fed to the fed to the slaughter, you know, brought to the slaughter and was going to get fed to Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. That obviously did not happen. And but Jacob Malkoon, you know, we've only seen him once in the UFC. He backed up. He was moving lateral movement to avoid the big right hand of Phil Hawes, but Hawes was able to push him up against the cage, use a lot of lateral left and right movement to trap him in. And then eventually, since he couldn't really land that right hand, he just set him up, walked him into the left hook, right hook, left hook, right hand. And uh, he was kind of in a square stance, so every shot was power. When you're squared up, you know, your shots are going to have equal power. Um, when you're in a stance, whether left foot in front or uh, right foot and back or right foot in front, left foot and back, you know, orthodox versus southpaw, it's going to be the powers coming from the backside. Usually people will have a good turnover on their lead hook, but when you're squared up, it's you're straight, you're straight on, straight ahead, and both shots have equal power because they're both in an equal um, symmetrical stance. But um, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, I think he knocks out Jacob Malkoon here. I looked at some highlights of Malkoon before he came into the UFC. And uh, he came into that Phil Hawes fight 4-0. Um, he does have a good 1-2. And he's good from the uh, referee's position or backside control, if you want to call it, landing ground and pound shots. But Abdul Razak Al-Hassan has great judo. He's got the good, def good enough defensive wrestling. And he's got 
power in his hands that if he lands on your chin, although it's not the most technical setup, he does tend to loop his shots and throw very wide punches. Um, they're powerful and they're heavy. And uh, if he lands on your chin, he can knock just about anybody out with the power that he possesses. So I think it's early. I think it's quick. I think he starts off kind of slow, trying to chop at the legs with some low kicks, kind of like he did against Chaos Williams, which eventually led to him getting countered down the middle. But I think he he uses some fakes and feints, backs him up to the cage, kind of like Phil Hawes did against Melkoon. I think Melkoon does have good lateral movement. You saw him up against the cage, you know, moving left and right, trying to trying to juke out um, Phil Hawes, but eventually he just moved into the left hand and then boom, that set up the right hand and that's all she wrote. So I think it's kind of a similar outcome here. He gets backed up. He gets backed up, pushed back to the fence and uh, Abdul Razak El-Hassan lands a beautiful left or right hook. I'm going to go with a right hook. Boom, lands on the chin, drops Jacob Malkoon and gets a first round knockout. So my pick for this fight is Abdul Razak El-Hassan to get the victory via a first round knockout. Uh, up next, we're going to move to the co-main event of the evening. We already talked about Chase Sherman versus Andre Arlovsky a little bit. It was a brief breakdown, but we did touch on it, so that has been discussed already. Um, when you look at the lightweight co-main event, it's a former featherweight in Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens making his return to lightweight. He does have a knockout victory over the former lightweight champion and welterweight contender in Rafael Dos Anjos. It was early on in his career. But I believe he caught him with a left uppercut up against the cage, dropped him, and finished him. So it is it is a uh, – he has had some good wins, you know. And he's going up against Drakkar Close, who holds a record of 11 victories, two defeats, and one no contest. Um, Jeremy Stevens, 28-18 and one no contest. Experience obviously goes to Little Heathen Stevens. He's fought the better competition. I mean, he's had he's fought Rafael Dos Anjos. He's fought Jose Aldo. He's fought, you know, uh, Kelvin Cater. He's fought Yair Rodriguez. He's fought just a who's a, a who's who in the UFC and some former champions, you know, top contenders. He's fought them all. And uh, he has also fought Zabit Magomed Sharipov. I believe he did fight um, Hanato Moicano coming off that fight on the losing end. Um, he has a lot of losses in his career. Um, obviously his last fight, he suffered a brutal second round knockout against Kelvin Cater. He got timed loading up and coming in and caught with a right elbow on the chin, um, dropped and then finished with some ground and pound against Cater. But early in that fight, he looked very, very good. And Cater's, his last fight was against the former champion in Max Holloway. You know, so that was that was a good performance against a top contender at 145 pounds. He was previously ranked number seven in that division before he lost to Kelvin Cater, but he looked really, really good in that fight. He came forward. He was landing really good low kicks. We saw his low kicks showcased against uh, Gilbert Melendez, where he was just chopping the lead leg, chopping the lead leg. And, you know, just constantly, constantly, constantly on Melendez and hurting him and making him get, you know, stuck in position and not be able to move effectively and dropping him with low kicks over and over. Against Cater, he did use some low kicks. But the thing that Stevens did in the Cater fight that really, really impressed me was his ability to shift into stances moving forward. So he would he would start off in the orthodox stance and he would fake that 
straight right hand once or twice, and that would disguise the stance switch, and then he would go right hook, left straight, right hook, left hook. So he would boom, boom, hook straight from the southpaw stance and then go back to orthodox. Or he would stop, move, step forward, right hook, left body kick, right hook, left high kick, left low kick. He was constantly shifting into stances. And even when he backed up, he would go back to orthodox. He would switch back to southpaw. He liked to disguise the stance switch by using that power hand and touching with the power to then disguise the step forward to get that outside angle on cater. So moving into that southpaw stance on an orthodox fighter, is going to give you the outside angle. It's going to make it harder for the opponent to land the jab. So they would go with the lead hook to check hook, or it's going to end. It's going to make it harder for their power to land because you're outside of the range of their power as you step. And they're going to have to take an extra step to their lead side to then land the power, which is where the check hook comes in play for both sides. If it's uh, orthodox versus southpaw or vice versa. Steven's ability to shift um, from stance to stance is something I think that's going to give Jerkar Close a lot of trouble. Close is a guy who's fought some some solid competition, but you know I think that Stevens is definitely his hardest matchup. I think the Benil Dariush fight was a really really tough test for him, and he lost. You know, but he did look good in the fight early on. You know, he was able to catch Benil throwing a lazy lead body kick. And time it with that straight right down the middle. One thing that Dracar Close is very, very good at is the straight right down the middle. There's no wind-up. There's no looping. It's just a straight shot. I think that can cause trouble against a guy like Jeremy Stevens because he technically tends to get hit with the clean technical punches. When you're throwing wide shots against Stevens, he's usually able to you know, pull back or slip out of the way or pull away and move back and counter with a lead body kick or counter with a, with a low kick. But when it's straight, clean shots, that can give Jeremy Stevens a little bit of trouble. And I think that is something that might give him trouble if he tries to crowd, you know, Drakkar close is when he tries to come forward, he's going to have to watch out for the straight right down the middle. The thing is though, Drakkar close isn't a knockout artist. Jeremy Stevens, when he comes in, he's looking to put punch your head into the nosebleeds. Like he's looking to land bombs on you and hurt you. And he also has really good hooks to the body. When he switches, when he switched to southpaw over and over in that fight, it was to land the left body kick. It was to land a left high kick. And it was also to land those vicious hooks to the body. He landed vicious switch southpaw, boom, left hook to the body. Switch southpaw, right hook to the body, straight left, right hook, pull back, counter, straight left. You know, he's good at pulling away from the wide shots. Um, he did get hit with the straight punches when it's able to counter and cover a long distance. <clears throat> so as we were talking about with the Stevens and Drakkar close co-main event, Stevens tends to get beat by guys who have really good footwork, really good movement, really good in and out, cutting angles, not standing in one place stationary, and people who are good at technical straight punches. The wide looping shots Jeremy can get hit with here and there, but somebody who's able to stick and move and poke and prod and land just clean, straight shots with no windup and land good combinations are the people who give Stevens trouble. And, you know, we talked a little bit about level of competition. And Jakar Close has fought some good guys in his career. 
I mean, if you look at his last few fights, we can pull it up. Well, he lost to Benil Dariush via knockout in the second round at UFC 248. Before that, he beat Christos Yagos. He beat Bobby Green. He beat Lando Venata. He lost to David Tamer. He beat Mark Jacasey, which is a pretty solid win. And he beat Devin Powell. So he has beaten Bobby Green. He's beaten, like I said, Mark Jacasey. He had a good fight with Benil Dariush and probably what was close to being a round of the year at UFC 248, like we said. But again, it's level of competition that goes to Stevens all day, and we've talked about it. Um, the switch stance combination that Benil Dariush caught Drakkar close with, where he stepped from southpaw double touch, step into the overhand over the top, that gave that's what hurt Drakkar close was the overhands when he stepped into an orthodox stance. And that was a big issue. And the fact that Stevens is so good and so effective at switching stances moving forward or maybe moving off to a slight angle and switching into southpaw by disguising it with that double straight right and then landing a left hook to the body, a left hook up top, switching back orthodox and landing his punches straight and hooks and hooks to the body. I think the fact that Close doesn't keep his hands up when he when in terms of defense, the fact that he backs up in a straight line with his chin in the air, and the fact that he, when he throws combinations, his chin is straight up and he doesn't really have any form of defense, and he might stand in the same spot and be stationary. A stationary target with their chin exposed is a recipe for disaster against Stevens. Stevens is still a very, very solid competitor. He's still ranked in the featherweight division. I believe he's ranked 10th, like we said. And I think that's just going to give some some really, really big problems to close. I think that it'll be a close first round, no pun intended. I think it's going to be, you know, feeling out process. But I think Stevens is going to pick up on the timing towards the end of that first round. I think in the second round, he uses that switch stance, disguises it, maybe lands a body kick at first. And then when he uses it again, boom, catches Drakkar close with that left hook or the straight right, depending on where he switches. But normally he would switch from orthodox to southpaw because he is a primarily orthodox fighter. I think he switches, lands a bomb, hurts Drakkar close, drops him, and finishes him off in the second round. So my pick is Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens to get the win via a second round knockout. If it's... oh, There's part of me that almost wants to go with decision, but just because of how defensively irresponsible Drakkar Close is, I have to go with the knockout. So second round knockout for Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens. Now we move to the main event of the evening. In the UFC's middleweight division, you have the former middleweight champion and number one contender, Robert the Reaper Whitaker, going up against number eight ranked power puncher and knockout artist, Kelvin Gastelum. These two have been matched up before. They were originally supposed to fight at UFC 234. Whitaker had to pull out due to severe stomach issues, and that is what caused Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva to be moved up to the main event, even though it did stay a three-round fight. So this fight is, is, you know, years in the making. It was supposed to take place in 2019, early in the year, and it ended up falling through, like we said. But now we're matched up. 
It's a blessing in disguise because Whitaker was originally supposed to fight Paulo Costa, which is a great fight. Costa was ill. He had to pull out of the fight. Gastelum took the fight. Um, Gastelum's had a little bit of a rough patch in his UFC career, even though he is coming off of a win in his last fight against her, the Hurricane Ian Heinish. You know, prior to that, he was on a three-fight losing streak. I mean, he lost to Darren Till at UFC 244. He lost to, or no, so he lost to, um, okay, so he lost to Adesanya at UFC 236, came back and lost to Darren Till at UFC 244, then came in and fought Jack Hermanson and lost via first-round submission, but now he just recently came back and has a win over Ian Heinish, which is a big win, you know. Ian Heinish is not a top contender, in my opinion. Um, He did lose to Derek Brunson. Brunson is now considered one of the top contenders, but when I look at the middleweight division and the most dangerous guys in that division, I don't put Heinish anywhere close to that, to that, you know, caliber of an, of an athlete or cal- caliber of a fighter or an opponent at the current point in time. Whitaker's coming into this fight on a two-fight win streak. He's got wins over Darren Till for on Fight Island and then a win over Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer at UFC 254. Um, both, both of those fights he looked great in. He did get stunned in both of those fights. He actually got dropped in the fight against Darren Till with an elbow. He tried to run in and crowd Darren Till and land the right hand. He usually goes up jab to the right hand and got crowded and countered with that uh, left elbow. And the one thing about this fight is Whitaker is pretty well-versed at fighting southpaws now in his career. I mean, Darren Till is probably one of the most tricky and technical southpaws that you're going to fight, going to fight. And one of the most tricky and technical southpaws you're going to find in the UFC. So that is definitely something that can be of dividend to him and, and be of benefit to him in this fight against Gastelum. Now, like I said, Gastelum, he's coming in off one win. Um, he 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 got the call. He stepped in. We're getting Whitaker versus Gastelum. The thing about this fight, Gastelum and Whitaker fight in a very similar style. And some people are going to say, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, Whitaker throws a lot more kicks and he looks like he's a lot more in and out with his movement. Thing is, they're very, very similar. Both men keep their lead hand down uh, almost to their thigh. It's down at low level and they just kind of move it back and forth and they'll hop in and out, in and out. Now, I think Whitaker is definitely more on the in and out movement, stepping in, stepping out, stepping in, stepping out, kind of like a karate style of side stance. More than a the more than a you know square stance, he's more side on karate style, almost like a Wonder Boy Thompson, but he's not as elusive as a Wonder Boy. Now Wonder Boy and Whitaker did fight in their career at 170 pounds when Whitaker was at welterweight, and Whitaker ended up getting knocked out by Wonder Boy. You know that's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, when it comes to this fight, though, like I said, they're very very similar. Uh, it, you know, hands really low kind of hopping in and out of range. They will jump in and sometimes overextend on their punches and that leads them to get countered. That's something I think both guys are going to be looking to do. Whitaker's a very, very good counter striker when it comes to countering with that left hook off the break in clinch exchanges or countering um, lazy kicks to the body or leg with a counter left hook. He's very, very good at that. That's something he's going to be looking for in this fight against Gastelum. Gastelum, he's good at pulling. Gastelum is more of a pullback or slip fighter. He'll pull back or he'll slip left and right. Slip to avoid the straights, pull to avoid the white, the wide shots, and sometimes roll underneath. But it's mainly slips and pulls and counters from 
Kelvin Gaston like he did against Michael Bisping. It was a one, I believe he landed a one, two, pull, two, three. Or no, it was a, it was a, he was looking at Bisping. He kind of pulled back and faked the pullback like he knew that the shot was coming. He landed a shot. He pulled away from the one-two of Bisping and then came back with a three-two and dropped him on the pull counter return. So pull, boom, boom, three-two, drop Bisping. That's something that's going to be very beneficial for him in this fight against Whitaker. Now let's look at some of the stats. Obviously, we'll look at the record first. Whitaker's coming into this fight, like we said, on a two-fight win streak, um, 23-5 and five overall in his professional mixed martial arts career. Kelvin Gastelum coming into this fight, 17 victories, six defeats, and one no contest. Um, one and two in his last, or one and three in his last four fights. Um, and Whitaker is, like we said, on a two-fight win streak. His last loss coming to Israel Adesanya at UFC 243. But both men are coming in off a win, so that's something that's definitely important when it looks to, when we look to break down this matchup. Uh, looking at some more of the stats, um, six feet for Robert Whitaker to five nine for Kelvin Gastelum. So it's a three-inch height advantage for Whitaker, and I think he's going to look to use that and use the reach and use the range to his advantage, mainly trying to keep this fight at kicking range. When we look at the reach overall, 73.5-inch reach for Robert Whitaker to 71.5-inch reach for um, Kelvin Gastelum. So that is a two inch reach advantage for Whitaker. Like we said, he's probably going to want to keep this as far away and as much at range as possible. He wants to stay at kicking range. And if he gets into boxing range, he's going to want to get in, get out, and then go back to the kicking game. And then, uh, leg reach. We don't really have to pay too much attention to when you look at win percentages, it's a 43% win percentage coming by way of knockout to a 41% coming by way of knockout for Gastelum. Uh, submissions, Gastelum actually has an up on him. 24% of wins coming by way of submission for Kelvin Gastelum to 22% of wins coming by way of submission for Robert Whitaker. When it comes to decisions, 35-35. Uh, so they're almost equal neck and neck in all of these stats with their win percentages. And the scary thing is when you look at average fight time, they're literally two seconds off from each other. It's a 12-minute, 20-second average fight time for Whitaker to 12 minutes and 18 seconds for Kelvin Gastelum. Now looking at significant strikes, this is where there's a little bit of a higher differential because um, Whitaker does seem to be the more active fighter. 4.82 significant strikes landed per minute for Robert Whitaker to a 3.64 significant strike uh, landed per minute for Kelvin Gastelum. Significant strike percentages, 40% of significant strikes land for Whitaker to a 43% Significant strike accuracy rate for Kelvin Gastelum. Now, Gastelum, although he is not as active with his striking output, he is the more accurate fighter. So it's accuracy over activity when it comes to Gastelum. Um, when it comes to strikes absorbed per minute, 3.65 for Whitaker to 2.92 for Kelvin Gastelum. So he does seem to be a little take less strikes per minute. But when it comes to overall defense, he is also... Um, when it comes to defense, I'm sorry, uh, Whitaker is a little bit better defensively, but he takes more shots than Gastelum. So uh, 3.65 strikes absorbed per minute for Whitaker with a 61% defense to a 2.92 strikes absorbed per minute with a 59% defense. So pretty much neck and neck in terms of striking, except for when it comes to significant strike output or the significant strikes landed per minute, Whitaker is a bit more active than is Gastelum. 
When it comes to the grappling, this is a uh, pretty interesting stats that we're about to break down. 0.37 um, takedowns per 15 minute for Whitaker to 1.22 for Gastelum. Gastelum does get some takedowns, but he's not accurate. He's not very um, successful with his takedown attempts. So when you look at more of the stats with takedown accuracy, it is a hold on. It is a 57% takedown accuracy for Robert Whitaker to a 39% accuracy for Gastelum. Gastelum is known to be the better wrestler, whether it's defensively or offensively. However, he doesn't tend to shoot, and when he does tend to shoot takedowns, he barely gets him. Um, and he doesn't tend to use that as much in his career at this current point because he has fallen in love with the Rafael Cordero style of standing up and striking, usually with his hands more than his feet. Um, when it comes to takedown defense, 84% takedown defense rate for the Reaper. Robert Whitaker to a 64% takedown defense for Kelvin Gastelum. And then when it comes to submission averages, pretty much non-existent. Zero for Whitaker to 0.14 for Kelvin Gastelum. Now, breaking it down from a technical side and how I see the fight playing out. Um, obviously, they're in opposite stances. So uh, Gastelum's a southpaw. The left hand is where all of his power is going to come from. But his right hook is very dangerous. He loves to throw that check hook into the cross, the 3-2. We see a lot of people do that. Um, Conor McGregor with the 1-3-2. Max Holloway with the 3-2. Um, somebody who we just saw fight recently, Impa Kasanganai, when he fought Maki Patola, one of his best combinations was that 3-2, which is the long hook to then set up the fully extended right cross. Um, and Gastelum's... Obviously, since Gastelum's a southpaw, it's going to be more like a Conor McGregor, so it's going to be the right hook into the left straight. Gastelum doesn't really throw his left straight unless it's going to the body. When he throws it up top to the head, it's more of a looping overhand, so it covers a little bit more distance, and you can get a little bit more power, but it is a little bit easier to see because there's more wind-up. Now, the check hook, like we said, is going to be a big weapon for Gastelum. Look for him to try to get that outside foot on Whitaker, so right foot on the outside of the lead left foot of Whitaker, and then use that right hook and straight left to his advantage. That is going to be what he's going to look to do. Now, how can Whitaker combat that? Um, Whitaker's probably going to look to throw the left hook as well, obviously right hook versus left hook, but I feel like Whitaker, if he does throw the left hook, it's either going to be off the break in a clinch or he will fake the jab and then throw the left hook. But another thing that Whitaker's very good at that we don't tend to see a lot now in his career, but he did use it very well against Brad Tavares, is using a front kick up the middle to then, as he pulls back, shift and hop into a left hook. So he will throw that rear teep kick to the body and then hop in with a leaping left hook. That is something that caught Gast or, uh, Tavares, and I think that is something that uh, Gastelum can be open for, and I expect Whitaker to use a lot of high kicks and front kicks to the body, and another weapon, that front knee stomp, the, the, the stomp to the front leg, the knee stomp to the front leg. So why is that important, and why is that effective when they're opposite stances? So Whitaker can throw that outside low kick. Usually he'll set it up with a slapping hook or a jab, and then he'll shift his hips into an outside lead left low kick on the right lead foot and lead side of Gastelum. He will do that, but the knee stomp, one is going to keep the opponent stationary. Yes, an outside low kick will keep you stationary, but you can still kind of move and pull away from that. 
when you use that front leg stomp to the knee, that side kick to the knee, um, kind of like a John Jones, like a Darren Till, that front leg side kick to the knee or the knee stomp is going to keep the opponent in the same position that they're in currently. And it's also going to stop them from being able to rush and explode in. Now, Whitaker's going to have to look out for the counters on that. You have to make sure you set it up. Maybe you fake the jab and then a front stomp to the knee. Fake the jab, fake the rear hip, like hip feint, like you're going to throw a round kick and then fake the cross and then throw the front leg stop to the knee or the side stop. That is going to be of the best, one of the best weapons for Whitaker to keep Gaslin from being able to use that constant, just in and out movement, kind of lackadaisical style, moving laterally in and out. You know, he doesn't move that much, but he does have a very relaxed style and then he will explode into his combinations. He's very relaxed catching kicks to the body on his elbows, you know, catching high kicks on the high guard. Um, and then he finds a, an opening. He'll he'll usually set up three, two to the body. And then usually that will lead to his three to the two or the overhand up top. So he'll set it up by going straight to the body and then coming up with the check hook to get the outside foot and then coming over the top with the overhand. But that front leg stomp to the knee is going to stop Gaslam from coming in. And it's also going to stop him from getting that outside foot on Whitaker, which would open up the window and the angle to land that overhand right for him or the overhand left for Gaslam. So that front leg stomp or side stomp to the knee is going to stop Gaslam from being able to get that outside foot get the angle and come over the top with the left hand. Um, you know, Gastelum can win this fight. And one of the areas I think he can definitely win is by countering Whitaker's rushes in. Um, and I also think that Whitaker can do this to Gastelum. This is why I think this is such a close fight. And it's very, very close in terms of the technical side, because they are very similar. When Whitaker gets caught, it's normally because he overextends on a punch and leaves himself open and gets countered. Um, Darren Till, like he's like I said, he countered him stepping in with that elbow. He countered him at the end, I believe it was in the fifth round, countered him with a hook as he tried to change levels to land that up jab. That's something I think can be beneficial for Gaslam because he is good at pulling and countering back. So I do think that that can definitely be of benefit. Um, another thing I think could be definitely um, to Whitaker's benefit is the cross kick. The cross kick from Robert Whitaker or the up jab, lead uppercut, right hand, right high kick is going to be a big weapon for him. That is one of the things that he got caught with against Adesanya. He is open to body kicks. Um, he does throw body kicks of his own from that left side, but normally, you know, he will get hit with body kicks. But I think for Whitaker, it's going to be front kicks to the body, stomps to the knee, and then, and then switching between the stomp to the knee and the outside low kick to then set up the cross high kick. Because when Whitaker or when Gastelum slips, it's going to be to the outside of the cross. So he's going to slip outside the cross. If you hide the high kick behind the cross, you're going to run into the high kick off of that slip to avoid the punch. You can avoid one, but you run right into the high kick. That is one of Whitaker's best um, Weapons, that is one of his most effective combinations aside from the left hook. Another thing I think can be a problem for him, and you saw this, you saw Whitaker use this against Darren Till. If he throws a lazy kick to the body, a round kick, Whitaker will crowd, step in, and throw a left hook. He also likes to go cross, and then he'll he'll briefly, you know, um, 
shift his weight over to his right side, take that step out to his right just to hop in with that left hook. So it'll go boom, boom, one, two, step out, boom, land the left hook. That's something I think he's going to look to land a lot on Gastelum. Gastelum, his only way to win is to counter Whitaker rushing in with that beautiful right hook to straight left or right hook to overhand left. And, uh, you know, mixing up the fakes and the feints. But I think when it comes down to it, this is just a fight where Whitaker is better everywhere. I think that Gastelum probably has more power, even though it's very close. I would say that if a knockout is to come from a punch, that is more in the realm of Kelvin Gastelum. If a knockout is to come via a kick, that is going to be from Robert Whitaker. I think that the jab, switching between the left hook and the jab and the jab and the left hook for uh, Whitaker is going to be a big weapon for him. They both don't really throw a lot of combinations. Whitaker will only throw one or two punches unless he's going to set up a kick. Then it might be three punches to set up the one kick. Gastelum is pretty much just in and out, straight left, left to the body, hook, left, straight left, right hook, straight left, jab, straight left. That's pretty much all you're going to get from a Gastelum. Um, he does have good counter wrestling. He uses his wrestling more in a defensive way than offensive. I think Whitaker is probably, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. I think if somebody gets a takedown in this fight, it's going to be Whitaker getting a trip up against the cage and uh, controlling Gastelum from the half guard. And then obviously he would probably get back up to his feet, but look for Whitaker to shoot takedowns at the end of the rounds up against the cage to secure rounds in what might be a close chest match on the feet. But I think that uh, another thing is Gastelum and Whitaker both fought Till. I think Till hurt Whitaker more than he did Gastelum, but Whitaker got the win, and Whitaker did stun and drop Darren Till. Gastelum did not. Um, MMA math doesn't really work, but looking at opponents, I mean, but then you can look at the Gastelum and Adesanya fight versus the Whitaker and Adesanya fight. Gastelum had one of the best fights and one of the closest fights of Adesanya's career, hurt him multiple times, and Whitaker couldn't touch Adesanya, and he got knocked out in the second round. So it's close. MMA math doesn't work, but I'm going with Robert Whitaker here. I think that the cross-kick combinations, I think that the ability to counter on somebody overextending on a punch, um, that's pretty even from both sides, but I think Gaslam's a little bit more wild and has more of a wild um, get-it-back type of style where he will leave himself open a little bit more than an in-and-out karate style like Whitaker. I think he will counter him with the left hook off those body kicks. I think he will use that front kick to the body and especially that lead stomp to the knee to stop um, Gaslam from getting the outside foot. And I think that up jab right hand cross or a high kick behind the right hand will catch Gaslam. I think he's going to slip into the high kick get dropped, and I'm going to go with a TKO, a late TKO for the Robert the Reaper Whitaker. I'm going to go with a fourth fourth round TKO via cross kick for the former champion Robert the Reaper Whitaker. Um, yeah, that's going to be it for my predictions. Like I said, a really, really close fight, and one I'm really excited for, one we were supposed to get at UFC 234. It didn't happen, but we're getting it now, so I'm really excited to see how that pans out. And, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for these predictions. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about fight announcements and, uh, recent fight announcements, but I think we're going to save that for the next podcast episode. So that is going to be coming very soon as well as the 
um, WrestleMania and NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver review. I know we're a little bit late, but that will be coming out very soon. I might try to get it done tomorrow if I can. If not, maybe I'll try to get it done today. We'll, we'll drop a double whammy, but... Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. It really means a lot. We've kind of slowed down on audience members. My YouTube has grown a lot, though. So if you're interested in, you know, fighter breakdowns and technical breakdowns of all the fighters, go to check out my YouTube channel. And, um, you know, it, I have breakdowns on Adesanya. I have breakdowns on Piotr Jan. I have a in-depth breakdown on Khabib Nurmagomedov's grappling style. Habib's grappling, his his use of the Donistani, Dagestani handcuff, his use of the wrist control, the wrist rides, you know, breaking the opponent's posture. All of that stuff is, is available on my YouTube. Look up Touch Em Up Podcast on YouTube. That's T-O-U-C-H apostrophe E-M. U-P podcast on YouTube. There is a breakdown coming out on Leon Rocky Edwards. I had worked on it previously. It's not out yet. Also have breakdowns on um, Conor McGregor that is up currently. I'm hoping that that can blow up with views really soon. There's a breakdown up on Vicente Luque. I have some old podcast episodes, some of my interviews I've done. So definitely check out the YouTube channel and hopefully that will drive some more traffic to this podcast. Um, I'm your host, Double M. Um, the podcast is available anywhere your audio podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, Overcast, um, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you can get a podcast, you can listen to the Touch Em Up podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?